0: Man, let's pray. Oh, man. Father, uh, I'm fighting to be here right now. Is there are so many thoughts rummaging through my heart and my mind, and I'm sure that there's uh, people who are sitting here who are experiencing the same wrestle wanting to be mentally present as their body is here. And Lord, it is a fight and it is a struggle. Um, But you are able to capture our attention. Pray that your word would do that, that it would capture us, um, draw us into the drama of the word of truth, and that we will be changed as a result of the hearing of the word, that our faith would be increased because of the truth proclaimed and the heart of belief that you've granted us. Father God, would you, would you just be present in this place this morning? Would you you stick your, your pinky finger in the roof of this place that we would feel your presence? Lord, for those who are at home watching online because of sickness, Lord, and I think most of us can attest, most of us know people who are currently sick. I know at least a dozen. I pray that you would visit them this morning, whether they're watching in their home, watching in a group together, someplace. Lord, I pray that you would attend them through the hearing of your word and that you would allow them to focus in on the truth of God's word this morning and that they would grow as a result of hearing the word. Lord, I pray that you would fix all of our plans this morning. We know we come in with a game plan of what we want to do, but at the end of the day, Lord, you do what you want to do with us. And we're ready to receive your instruction. Lord, our city has been continuing to be hit with crime and and violence, some of us are a little too close to it ourselves, and we ask that you would bring healing to the families who lost loved ones this last week, who are hurting, who are asking that question of why, and they're wrestling with the concept of you being good in the midst of a tragedy like they've experienced, that you would give them an answer through your word, and that your Holy Spirit would attend them With his presence that would comfort them. And that though, Lord, you may not, um, they may not ever comprehend a a logical answer for some of the reasons or some of the suffering that they're experiencing, they would find it all too real, your comforting arms around them, and know that you are a God who loves and cares for them. And if you do provide an answer, Lord, to their to their issue, to their question, to their heart's burning pain. We give you praise. And we ask that in accordance to Second Corinthians 1, that they would now have the wherewithal to be a comfort to those who are suffering in the same way in which they have suffered. Lord, help us to be gospel emissaries, people who carry the truth with us wherever we go. Help us not to be ashamed of the truth, of the, the, the word of truth, to be ashamed of our King and our Lord Jesus. Fill us with your spirit in this place, Lord. Be glorified in us, Lord God, and take first place. It's yours. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Canaan Parker, one of the pastors here at Pillar, and uh, normally what we do and what we're doing now is we walk through a book of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, section by section, in hopes of leading you closer to Jesus and each other. And this morning uh, we're continuing a series in the book of Galatians uh, that is basically entitled "For Freedom He Has Set Us Free." So go ahead and open in your copy of God's Word to the book of Galatians. We are still in chapter one, and as I said, if you have a cross-reference sheet, have it handy, as we will be referring to it. There may be a few scriptures that I refer to that are not there, but by and large, they're all there. You ever been um, driving? Are you turning? You ever been driving? to a place and you think you know better than the GPS. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a dude. I know all the dudes in here like, yeah, I do. And then the ladies next to us say no, you don't. Well, or you know, you ever think you know better than than the person who gives you directions who's a local? And so one day I was driving to IKEA. And you know, if you ever drove to IKEA from this area of the city, you hit a certain road and as you're going as you're going up George Bush and you start, see, you start seeing Ikea in the distance and there's an exit right there. And so I'm sitting there like, nah, I look down, this traffic right there. And I'm like, nah, not getting off here because I'm going to get in the traffic. What I'm going to do is ignore the, the GPS, keep going straight, get off at that exit that's near the Ikea. And if y'all know what I'm talking about, the Ikea is in the distance, you see it far, you got to get off quick. But you think there's an exit there, right? And so you just keep on moving, you keep on going. And then what did I find? It passed Ikea, right? And then you get off, and then there's like four or five stop signs and stop lights, and then you got to turn around and go the opposite way, and there's more traffic going that way than this way. And I quickly realized, I don't know what I'm doing, right? I need to just obey the GPS, obey the locals. We've all done that. Somebody tells us, man, just keep going straight. It's going to look like you should turn. Don't turn. And we get there, and we're like, I'm about to hit this turn, doc. We're going to watch, watch. I know what I'm talking about. We all do that. We all end up deviating from the good information that we've got. And what happens when you deviate from the instructions of the GPS or the local? You find yourself in the wrong place, right? You find yourself struggling to get back to wherever it is that you were trying to get to. What's crazy is we do the exact same thing with the gospel of truth. We deviate from its truth, and then we complain and wonder what's gone awry. Oftentimes what's gone awry is that we've stopped bathing in the gospel of God's word and the gospel of of truth. And when we start bathing in it, we start start living life through our own eyes, with our own perspectives, and completely ignoring the divine in whatever situation or circumstance in which we're engaged with. We find that happening with the people in the book of Galatians. And we find that it's amazing how prone they were and we are to move from soundness to falseness because of our own human ingenuity. Let me say that one more time. I want you to hear that. This is what this, it's in it's in here. It's amazing how prone and how quickly we move from soundness to falseness because of our own human ingenuity. According to uh, look, look, let's look, let's look at the text. Galatians chapter 1, look at verse 6. You ready? Paul's about to just quote me. Or I quoted him, whichever way you want to take it. Look at Galatians 1:6. I am amazed, Paul says that you so quickly are turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Pay attention to the tenses of the words and what's going on. He says, I'm amazed that you, Galatia, the Galatians, the churches, are turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Stop there. According to Romans 8.28, God is the one who calls people to repent and believe in the gospel. Okay, he's He's the effective caller in that relationship. He's the one that calls men to himself. And look what the text says who's being abandoned. Notice what it says in that verse. They're turning away from him who called them to his gospel. This is what I want you to hear. You cannot be okay with God and yet ignore or reject his gospel. That's the first thing that's going on here. The Galatians are not okay with God because they're rejecting the gods, they're rejecting God, I'm sorry, they're not okay with God, sorry, let me me just read what I wrote. You cannot be okay with God and yet ignore and reject his gospel. They're claiming to have a right standing to be okay with God, yet they're doing something to his gospel that distorts the relationship. I'm just going to read it. We all know people like this. Those who are okay with God. You guys know them people? You talk to people on the streets. So I'm good with God, I'm good. We got a relationship. I talk to God all the time. I know a lot of those individuals. Yet they know nothing about the gospel. Their lives reflect nothing about gospel truth. Sometimes we think that we're okay with God because we give God lip service. And we think he's okay with it. God's not cool with lip service. God is after your heart. I know a woman who tells me frequently, I talked to God yesterday. And yet when we start interacting about the good news of the gospel, she knows nothing of God's gospel. She knows nothing of God's grace. And the text is showing her and it's showing me that she doesn't know God because she doesn't know God's gospel. Because you can't know God and not know his gospel. So if you're here this morning and you know not the gospel of Jesus, I contend you don't even know who God is even though you think you might know who he is. You cannot know the God of grace and not know the gospel of grace. The gospel is the single most important truth that any believer can ever know. Look at your cross reference sheet. This is how the gospel is described in Romans 1:16. It says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. This is a descriptor of the gospel. It's the power of God for everyone who believes, first for the Jew and for the Greek. Look again in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4, as it pertains to this gospel. Paul says, Now I want to make clear to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. Notice he says this, if you hold to the message. I want to make clear to you this gospel that saves if you hold to the message. He says, unless you believed in vain. Look at verse 3. He says, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised again on the third day, according to the scriptures. Look again in your cross-reference at Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. Follow the words here. It says, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, and it was expressed in your evil actions. Y'all see that there? It's crazy. They were hostile in their hearts and minds, and it came, and it fleshed itself out through through their bodies, through their evil actions. How much more should the gospel be the same If the gospel is running through our hearts and our minds, shouldn't it be fleshed out somehow, some way through our hands, which means that lip service is no before God. If it's stuck here and here and doesn't come out here, then you've not truly fully grasped the gospel or it hasn't fully grasped you. There's no such thing as gospel truth that is believed that doesn't flesh itself out in some way, shape or form tangibly through the person. That means you're believing portions of the gospel. You're believing parts of the gospel that you want to believe, the parts that make you comfortable, the parts that you're okay with. But if it doesn't come out your fingers and your toes, you haven't fully grasped it. It says, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds and ex- as expressed in your evil actions. And then look at this. This is one of the most beautiful verses in the whole scripture. Look at this. You were, you were alienated and you were hostile in your minds. But look what verse 22 says. But now who he not you he what did he do reconciled you how by his physical body through his death to do what to present you holy and faultless before him y'all see what god does for the broken this is the part of the beauty of the gospel We were alienated, we were hostile, and there was nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to change the disposition of our hearts. We were broken, unable to fix ourselves. Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall, never to be healed, never to be fixed. He's pieces, he's shattered, that's us. But then God intervenes and he reconciles us through his body, uh, through through his physical body, through his death, to present us as what? Holy and faultless and blameless before him. And then notice Paul says the same thing that he said in 1 Corinthians, verse 23. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. The temptation of mankind is to shift from the gospel that saved us. That's our temptation. Beloved, the gospel is literally our liberation from bondage and oppression and sin and our reconciliation to God and one another through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for all who believe. That, the person of work of, that in the person and work of Jesus, you guys are forgiven, you're loved, you're not forgotten nor abandoned, no matter how Satan interprets your circumstances for you. You're not abandoned. You're not forgotten. You are worthy in Christ. You are beautiful in Christ. You are wanted in Christ. You are accepted in Christ. God knows your name in Christ. Some of y'all needed to hear that this morning because you came in and you allowed Satan to interpret your circumstances to, to, to the effect of God doesn't want you anymore or God is not caring for you anymore or you are worthless before him. And beloved, that is not true. In the person of Jesus, through belief in the gospel, you are worthy and beloved and loved by him. Accepted, not abandoned. He hasn't gone anywhere. We've strayed. We've turned. This is the greatest news ever and it's the single most important truth that any person can ever hear ever is this good news of the gospel it's the news of emancipation it's the news of freedom from oppression but in our text this morning the galatians for reasons we'll continue to discover as we go through this book they're turning away from the good news of the gospel of grace to what paul calls another gospel And later he's going to say, you're turning again to a yoke of slavery. We're going to get into why. Why would the Galatians turn to another gospel? Why would anybody turn from good news, from what God is doing in and through his son for us who are broken, who can't fix ourselves? Why would we turn from that? What would make us deviate from that? We'll find some answers as we continue through the book. Look again at Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. It says, I am amazed, Paul says, that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. What's Paul's astonishment, according to the text? That they are so quickly turning away, right? Paul's astonishment seems to derive from their relative speed of human fickleness. I don't know if you guys have interacted with people, but do you know people are fickle? including you. We did a whole series on commitment issues and and the fickleness of people. You can find it on the Pillar app. The reality is all of us are fickle in one way, shape, or form. And Paul is amazed because they had just proclaimed at some relative short amount of time, they had proclaimed faith in Jesus, and now already they're turning, they're deviating, they're shifting from what the GPS has called them. They're turning to another gospel. There's another way. There's something that they think is better. It's amazing how quickly people turn back to sinful familiarity even though we've been freed from those sins. Y'all, y'all remember last week we kind of talked about the idea of oftentimes what we do, even though we are those who are of us who are Christians in here we have been set free from the power of sin, right? We, we no longer are bound by the chains of sin, which means we have the choice to, to, to do right and righteous, to avoid, to, to push away darkness from us. But what do we do? We capitulate and fall back into it. And we're almost like we're prone to it. It's almost like we're enslaved by it. That's what the scriptures say. It says the wicked man, the wicked man's iniquities will trap him, and he will become tangled in the ropes of his own sin. John 8.34 says, truly I tell you, anyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. It's almost like we have an emotional attachment to bondage. But that's not true for the Christian. Beloved, that's not true for you who claim and have faith in Jesus. You are free from sin. It does not bind you, it does not have its grip on you. Satan will tell you that it does. Which is why Paul's so astonished at the Galatians' turn, because they don't have to deviate from the truth of the gospel. They're choosing to for some reason. Something is causing them to turn back to what they, form, what they formerly believed. But Paul's like, you don't have to anymore. That's true for you, and that's true for me. What's the sin that easily besets for you? The thing that you wrestle with in the darkness of the night. What is it? And if you are a believer in Christ, you can cast that unto Christ. You can fast and pray, and you are free from such things if you choose to walk in the freedom that Christ provides. Or you can turn back to what's familiar and then feel like trash because you turn back to what's familiar. And then Paul's words apply to us. He's amazed. He's astonished. Wow. You believed this good news to save your soul, but you're so quickly deviating from it. Have you forgotten? This reminds me, in your cross reference you'll see these verses here. I'll just reference them here. In Exodus 32, and in Deuteronomy chapter 9, the people of Israel were literally just set free from Egyptian bondage and captivity. Literally just set free. And out of fear, they chose to turn away from God and to make for themselves, what, a golden calf to worship. Moses went up on the mountain, maybe he's not coming back, I don't know. I don't know if God loves us anymore. I don't know if we're still going to be led by him. All bad interpretation of what's going on. And so what do they do? They quickly turn from the God who literally just rescued them, and they make a golden calf, and they say, behold the God who rescued you from the Egyptian oppression, What we don't know, if you have never read that in the book of Exodus, is that this is the kind of idol worship or practice that they would have been akin to back during their days of bondage and slavery in Egypt. They turn back to the familiar, like we talked about last week. What's scary is that many of us do the same thing as it relates to Christ. We fashion a god or an idol in our own image, and we choose to worship and obey it rather than worshiping and obeying the creator. That's a biblical principle, Romans 1.25. Many of us default to living by this mantra. Listen to this, because this is you. Ready? This is the mantra that we default to. Trust God until you feel like you can't. And then trust yourself instead. Everybody's guilty. That's the the mantra we, we proclaim. Not with our lips. We know better. All glory to King Jesus with the lips, but with the action, with the heart, with the head. Trust God until you feel like you can. And then trust yourself instead. But what do the scriptures tell us to do? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This is a kid's memory verse. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Not in you, but in him. And then he says, and do not, he makes he makes it abundantly, do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him, and he will make your paths straight. Now, I know for some of us in here, our minds are thinking and evaluating whether or not we know people who have turned away from the gospel of grace for this reason or that reason. I don't want you thinking about them. I want you thinking about you. And I want you to consider if Paul's words are pertinent for you. Have you so quickly turned away from the gospel of grace? Of course, you don't turn away from the gospel of grace through your lips. I know many of you don't do that, but many of us have abandoned the gospel of grace to go back to what's familiar to us, to whatever was binding us in the past, to go to some kind of a better or easier alternative rather than going about it God's way. I want to ask you this quick question. It's, I already said it. I'm going to say it again are you or have you ever been guilty of abandoning God's gospel of grace in any shape or form? And the answer is, of course you have, because you've all lived by that mantra, trust God until you feel like you can't, and then trust yourself instead. We've all done things that we know the scriptures speak ill of or speak against, or or we haven't done things that scripture tells us to do. And in those moments, what you're choosing to do and say is, I trust me rather than trust God. That's what we're doing in those moments. It's funny, the scriptures say meditate on the word of God day and night. Do not depart from it. It says pray without ceasing, First Thessalonians 5.17. Our, our inaction is proving who we're trusting. It says to go into the world and pre- preach the gospel to all creation. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded of you. When we go months and months and months and share nothing of the good news of Christ, in that moment, you've abandoned God's word. You didn't sin by contradicting something and doing some horrible thing in that sense. You've sinned by not obeying it. In that moment, you've said, I am God. I'm going to trust me in this situation. It's really hard and scary to trust God when you're sitting on the throne of your heart because that means you relinquish power. But our lips say the opposite. And our prayer through the Apostle Paul is that we align our lips with our actions. I want to call all of us to repent of our fickle faith that we claim we don't have. Everyone here thinks they're faithful, but you know you're not. You're only righteous before God because of the blood of Christ. And if we say that we're appreciative of the blood of Christ, then our actions will go in accord with our appreciation. But what our actions have told us is that we're going to choose not to believe the gospel of grace and not believe the Lord of all creation and do what we want to do instead. And I'm just as guilty as anybody here. I have an illustration of people who have gone to a five-star steakhouse. I don't know if y'all ever been to a five-star steakhouse, but if you go to a five-star steakhouse, you got to order steak. And if you order steak, it got to be medium. Just letting y'all know what it is. <laughs> don't go ordering well done. Okay, That's not how it's supposed to be. It's actually in the scriptures someplace. You go to a five-star steakhouse, you order a steak medium. What does that mean when you go to a five-star steakhouse and you're ordering a steak? It means that you're actively trusting that the steakhouse and the chef is going to get your order correct, right? They're known for this. This is what they're known for. Steaks is what they do. Remember, they have a five-star reputation. If you guys have ever been there, you go to a five-star restaurant or steakhouse and your expectations rise up a little bit, right? And you're like, this steak better hit, right? That's the mindset when you get there. But what happens when you guys have done this, if you order a steak from, like, Applebee's? Expectations drop a little bit, right? If you work at Applebee's, my bad, I'm just saying. What do they have on the table at Applebee's for you in your steak? They got that A1 sauce. Here it is. A1 sauce is man's attempt to make up for the shortcomings of the cook. So that the steak would be acceptable to the palate. Now, if you serve A1 sauce at your steakhouse, you probably don't make a bomb steak. Just saying. Now, most of us don't have the ends to go to a five-star steakhouse all the time. You know, our big family trips is Red Robin, and Applebee's, stuff like that, right? But when we do have the pleasure of going to a five-star steakhouse and we order a steak, sometimes we disrespectfully ask for some A1 sauce. And that's disrespect. Why do we do that? Because we're accustomed to having to add sauce to our imperfect steaks in order to make them acceptable, but these five-star steaks aren't imperfect at all. In fact, adding a one sauce will ruin a five-star steak. I'm going somewhere. Now, the choice—you have a choice to make. You can believe the five-star chef who has a reputation of making five-star steaks that we don't need to add any sauce to. It is good in and of itself. Or we can continue in the Applebee's tradition and ruin the five-star steak because we refuse to fully trust the work of the five-star chef. Y'all following? Our familiarity familiarity and comfort with the imperfect causes us to want to add to the perfect in order to make it acceptable to the palate. This is the plight of the Galatians. The truth is, if we add anything to the perfect, it distorts it and taints it and renders it imperfect. This is the issue that the Galatians have with the gospel. When it comes to the gospel of Jesus, we need not add anything to it, for in doing so, we actually distort it. Look what the text says in Galatians 1, verses 6 and 7. Paul says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Verse 7, Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Remember I asked the question earlier, why would anybody want to turn from this gospel? Why would the Galatians be turning from this gospel? Well, the people of Galatia are being deceived into believing that they have to add something of their own accord in order for the gospel and for God to be effective in their life. They're being influenced to trust and believe in themselves over against the perfect and work of Jesus. The Galatians were being convinced that they needed to do something. Namely, they had to obey the works of the Mosaic law in order for their faith to be um, effective before God. It seems that there are false teachers and false community influencers who are trying to convince the people that God won't accept them unless they obey these particular rules from the Mosaic law. They're basically saying that before you can be a Christian, you have to follow and adhere to the rules and practices of Judaism first. That's what they're saying. And and only then will your faith be acceptable before God. Beloved, let me tell you what the apostle says similarly. Beloved, that is not true. But what's crazy is that we have similar individuals in our communities who will tell you that you have to adhere to, believe, or be something before the gospel of grace can ever have effect or impact in your life. They're teaching that favor and forgiveness and freedom comes through obedient bondage to the law. That's what they're teaching. That the only way to be made right by God is through the laws of God. Beloved, that is not true. I know it sounds logical to a point, but that's not true. Finding favor with God is never going to be found in the law. Here's the problem. Here's why. Because no one can obey the law in its entirety. Look what Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, in your cross-reference sheet. No one will be justified in his sight by works of the law. No one. No one is justified before God by works of the law. So if anybody tells you that you have to obey particular laws in order for God to accept you, lie. Not true. Look what it says in Galatians 10. I mean, sorry, Galatians 3, verse 10 to 11, in your cross-reference sheet. For all who rely on the works of the law, they're what? They're under a curse. Because it is written, everyone who doesn't do everything written in the law, in the book of the law, is cursed. Verse 11, now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law. How many people are justified by by, by the law? No one is justified before God by the law. Because the righteous will live, how? By faith it says. Relying on any law to make you right with God makes you a slave to that law, and it taints the power of the gospel gospel alone to save. Biblically, we obey laws as a result of a transformed heart of gratitude, not as a means to attain God-likeness so that God will accept you. You can't obey enough laws and become enough like him for him to accept you. His standard is perfection. You lost that battle a long time ago. Remember what the gospel is. Not that we earned our way to freedom, but that he loved us and freed us through the work of Christ. That's what it does for us. Not that we do good things to be accepted by God. Beloved, hear this. Doing good things doesn't make you accepted before God. I don't know if you grew up hearing that. It is not true. What happens is that God accepts us and then he transforms us and then we do good things. In fact, many people in this room believe the gospel or hearing believe the gospel is about being a good person. It's not. I think the gospel is about showing love, helping our neighbor, serving our church, obeying God's law, and then we think we'll have a right standing with God and all his blessings will be pouring on us. Beloved, those are all good things, but none of those things are the gospel. And none of those things will gain us any favor with God at all. These things are but a result of the life that has been transformed by the gospel. This is what happens. The gospel, uh, the gospel is good news to be believed. Upon believing that good news, it transforms the heart, soul, and mind. And upon transformation, we're compelled now to be good people, show love, help our neighbor, serve our church, obey his law, serve the, the, church, the community, and desire to look more and more like Christ. It happens that way. It starts with acceptance by him, and then he does the, transform, the transformative work. Beloved, don't believe or be duped by the false teachers in our communities or any community that will tell you that you need to do or be something in order for you to be accepted by God. Don't believe that. The gospel is for anyone who would believe. Jew, Gentile, black, white, brown, green, indigo, burgundy, keep going. The gospel, uh, your ethnicity doesn't grant you favor with God. No matter what anybody on the blocks tell you, your ethnicity does not grant you any special favor with God. And if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. Your past sins don't keep you out of favor with God. You thought that, though. Law-abiding doesn't grant you favor with God. Listen, only unbelief keeps you out of the favor of God. You heard that only unbelief keeps you out of the favor of God and only belief can grant you favor with him. Nothing else, no A1 sauce on this. You can't add enough to make it acceptable to God's palate. Only faith in his son. It starts with faith in his son and it moves from faith in his son to believe transformed heart, which means renewed mind, which means different actions, but we reverse it. We do it what, what happened with, uh, during the fall. Everything got reversed. And what we do is we reverse it. Do good things. It will transform our heart and mind. And then God will love us. No. God loves us despite what we were. He knows and sees that we were broken. Yet he comes and does something for the broken for you, for me. That's the beauty of the gospel. That faith in the person of Jesus makes you forgiven, it makes you beloved, it makes you worthy, it makes you accepted. That's the greatest news ever told. I want you to hear this, beloved. Don't turn from that truth because as soon as you do, you believe the lies of Satan. And when you believe his lies, you live according to them. But then you blame God for not being there. Everything hinges on your faith in the Son. You are made right before God because of your faith in the Son. The person of Jesus is who you need and he imputes his righteousness to us and he takes all of God's wrath for those who have sinned upon himself. It's the great exchange. Heaven's best for earth's worst. And there's nothing you can do about it. You can't put yourself on either side of the category. All I can do is call you to repent and believe in the Son who saves broken people like you and like me. Believe, be set free, be transformed, and believe no other gospel. Next week, we're going to look a little bit more at what exactly are they doing? What exactly are they believing? Who are they trying to please? But this week, here's my application points, right? Ready? Study and learn the truth of what the gospel does for sinners like you. Go back to the scriptures I referred to in the beginning of this sermon and mull those over in your heart and mind, and then say, Lord, you're God, I am not. You rule, I'm subject to you. You love me despite me. You accepted me, though I fell short. I can't do nothing to gain favor in your sight. I need you, and I can't do anything of my own accord. Redeem my fallenness. Redeem my my mind that is distorted and turned away from you because I think i got to do something to please you. But all my good works are filthy rags before you. I repent of my sin and I turn to you. And let him say, come on, son. Come on, daughter. I love you despite you. And I'll accept you. And there's nothing you can do to earn or lose my love. Because you place your faith in the perfect work of my son. Don't let Satan sit and dis- deceive you and distort you to turning to another gospel. The gospel is good news from hearing. Hearing transforms the heart, renews the mind, and it changes who you are and what you do. seriously take those scriptures to heart and let God do some work in your soul. i got like eight more pages, but we're going to stop right there. Literally. Father, um, I don't know, I just felt compelled to not continue with with so much more um, that is there, written. And I pray that you would use whatever was spoken to turn people from turning away from the gospel of truth and turning away from God because if they didn't reject the gospel, Lord, they've fundamentally rejected you. And Lord, I can tell you so many times in my life where I feel guilty because I didn't do some kind of reading plan. Or I feel like, you know, because I responded in a certain way, you don't love me anymore. Lord, I feel, I allow Satan to dictate and, and to interpret My sin, in 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 light of what other how other people have treated me because of my sin, the lack of grace I attribute that to you, and it's people who haven't showed me grace, not you. I don't think there's any mercy for me, but Lord, all of that's lies. It's lies, Lord. There's mercy for me. There's mercy for them. There's grace for them. There's love for them. Despite them, it's the beauty of the gospel. It's good news for the broken if we would but confess our brokenness. Because of that, we don't have to perform. We just have to behold. And I pray that we would take the time to behold you. Behold your word. Let it transform our soul and our mind. Lord, grab hold of us and do your work in and through us. We need you, Lord. The city needs you. I need you. These people need you. They're wrestling. They're burdened. They're, They're held down. They don't need more law. They need more you. And Lord, as I said last week, the law is good. The law is perfect. The law is not to be despised. The law is an amazing reflection of your glory. But we deceive ourselves if we think we can attain it. All we do is bind ourselves to an unattainable task and feel guilty for not attaining the unattainable. No, oh Lord, but the gospel says, lean on me, I've attained it. Lean on me. I am perfection in the flesh. Lean on me. I've given myself for, this, for the broken like you. Lord, I don't know. I need you, Lord. They need you. We need you. I pray that the text would do its work. I pray that the words of the scriptures would just bear fruit. And that someone, somewhere heard exactly what they needed to turn from their sin and trust in Christ. Lord, if anybody in this room is faking the funk, but they're not okay, I pray that they would repent of their sin right where they are, that they would confess the reality of their need for you, Lord Jesus, that they would stop trying to attain and earn your righteousness but that they would lean on the sun and let the sun transform their hearts, that they would do works of righteousness because of what you've done for them. Their grace abounds because they've seen what abounding grace looks like. They've felt it. they touched it. Lord, do this work in us, transform us, and keep us free from the bondage of performance-based faith. Be glorified in Christ's name.